Now, Podcast One brings you Spike's Car Radio, a downloadable cars and coffee, hosted by writer, comedian, and automotive enthusiast, Spike Ferriston. Now, here's Spike. All right, welcome to Spike's Car Radio. Here we are again. We're in the uh, Beverly Hills studio. It's, it's lovely here. It's, uh, I, I bet you noticed the audio's better. Um, we're more comfortable. We're in air-conditioned settings, Zuckerman. It's nice, isn't it? I like air conditioning. And today we have uh, Porsche racing driver Patrick Long coming in. He's going to be in any minute. Do you uh, you know who Pat Long is, right? You've met Pat Long. Pat Long is a very <clears throat> accomplished racer for Porsche. That's I th- good. First yeah. correct answer from Zuckerman. I don't get this stuff wrong. <laughs> Do you uh, do you race? Do you like racing? I know we've been on the track together. Do you enjoy that experience? I love it. I love it. I love it. It's, it's exhilarating. Now, I wish there was a track like Willow Springs or one of the bigger tracks right in the heart of Los Angeles. Right. They, you know, they're a little far to get to. Yeah, there's the other that other place towards Palm Springs. What thermal. Is that? The Thermal, yeah. And there's a couple of others at the Bud and Willow. It's really nice, but like you're saying... It's it's a little bit of a jaunt, right? It's a schlep. And whenever you get to Willow, don't, have you noticed it's it's always suddenly it's very windy there and very hot and it's desolate there. There is a certain <laughs> otherworldly after the end of times uh, apocalyptic uh, feel out there in the middle of nowhere. And everybody says the same thing. I bet they're cooking meth in that shack right there as you drive up. Oh, I know they are. When were we out there last? We were out there last with uh, Seinfeld, right? Two or three years ago. Right. What cars did we have out there? We had... There was, a, was that the Brumos 4.0? We had a lot of Jerry stuff, right? Not a lot of our stuff. We don't own a lot of race cars between us. Right. But I think, was the uh, 962 out there? Jerry's 962, his 917, his 9083. Was it that time? Well, you're, I think you're conflating both times. but he Conflation. Always, uh, conflation, but he had some real heavy metal, and then he had that... that racer from the 60s and 70s his name was john I, oh, yeah yeah that's i don't right. i don't remember his last name uh but he was he was very competitive in the 60s if i recall mm-hmm. and he drove those cars at speed right around the track for us and that was that that was fascinating <laughs> that's when you know you've made it you you don't only have the cars in the track you hire a guy to do laps for you and you just sit and watch and he and he was going <laughs> fast he was all out there's nothing like it though i mean if you're going to own a race it's kind of the problem with just owning a race car is unless you have a license plate on it Right, you don't really get to use it, but maybe once a year, unless you're one of these nut job retirement rich guys who goes out to the track like in Monterey and races. Do you do you want to do that? Have you ever thought like I, I want to get up and mix it up on a track? I'm a- not at that stage yet, and I and I personally I don't trust anybody else on the track that's a rich old guy. Uh, I wouldn't <laughs> want to be anywhere near them, uh, nor would, and, it, and they shouldn't want to be anywhere near me. I'm not a pro. What's that's your the- What's your favorite race car? What would you want to race if you could? That uh, Jerry's 9083. Have you driven that car? No, you have. <clears throat> I haven't. That car is spectacular and well, easy to drive and um, probably second only to his IROC RSR in how easy it is to use and the feedback you get from the street. But it feels like your head is on the front of a freight train. Well, That's how is. far it forward it's, you are. It's, the, it's, the, uh, it's kind of the car that was in Speed Racer in a way where mm-hmm. you sit on top of the car in essence. Legs, legs in front of the front axle. So your legs are extending beyond the front wheels of the car. 
That which, doesn't sound dangerous. No, not at all. No. <laughs> it's only dangerous when you hit the wall. Well, aren't your legs stronger than the axle? <laughs> and then, and you break not. through. You break through the wall no. with your legs. So if I crashed in a 9083 Zuckerman, would you be able to sue Porsche? You're a lawyer. Would you have a case against them? Of course not. <laughs> First, it's assumption of the risk. You're, you're getting in and doing something dangerous. You can't complain <clears throat> later right. when your dangerous activity goes wrong. Right. So I'm I'm just done. Right. You're just effed. I'm effed. All right. Well, look, look who it is. Patrick Long has just walked in. Here he is. Come on in, Patrick. Bring. Oh, he's got a box. He. I think he brought a cake for us, some sort of portion. Oh, there's Will, our producer, who's... Uh, late. Will, you're 10 minutes late. Fired. Hey, Patrick Long. What's up? How are you, man? What's in the box, dude? I come bearing gifts. <clears throat> no way. Here, sit. It's, uh, are, uh, this isn't a plug. These are long overdue. Sit, sit at the mic. They can't hear you unless you're talking. Sorry, sorry. You, what's in the... It's good to see you. Good to see you guys. <clears throat> What do you have in the box there? Um, a long overdue gift for each of you and Jerry as you guys uh, helped give me some advice on producing our Luftgekult book. Oh, yeah, so, that's um, right. Yeah. The Luftgekult wow. book. Are we in the Luftgekult book? You guys are. You guys star in it. Well, that's amazing. You know you know the real Zuckerman right here. You've well, met thank him. you. Good, good, to see you again. good to see you again. I, I can't pronounce Luftgekult really very well. That's the best I've ever done. That was done. the plan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was that was actually really, yeah. really see, close. See, he, his he because he's Jewish. It just those German words just don't they don't come out, do they? Did Zuckerman? you just out me? <laughs> I, think, I don't think anybody ever knew I was Jewish. Well, no, you don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> right into the politics. Let's talk Luftekult since you brought it up. Um, this we just had our third Luftekult, right? Our uh, biggest, fourth. our fourth, yes, our biggest and our best. Where where did this idea come from? Um, I mean, it's like you guys know and talk about cars and live through cars. It's all about community. Um, for me, being with Porsche as a racing driver, I got dragged into a lot of different events and found that there was something I was missing and just wanted to take a stab at it. Uh, Irvine Cars and Coffee was sort of wrapping up and L.A. was sort of searching for something. And mm -hmm. the other part of it was just the non-car people who had come up to one of my vintage 911s and had a ton of questions, as you guys get all the time. And I realized that the youth was interested in a vintage 911. And I thought, what if we could just put on a Sunday morning that wasn't too early, uh, that had good food and good music and uh, a vast uh, range of people. And so that's where it, it grew out of. Yeah, it was pretty well. I mean, I remember when you first told me about it, the, the thing that I really liked about it was you said no one is going to come up to you and tell you you have the wrong um, side mirrors on your car, the wrong lens. It's, this is just about guys who love air-cooled machines. Yeah, I mean, you know what it's like. Any Anything that you you want to approach, and if you go to a, a super nerd festival, a Comic-Con level thing, you can you quickly feel mm -hmm. like you're on the outside. Yeah, and I, you know, when I remember now, I think I went, I made it to the second one. The first one, I was with you, Zuckerman, and with Jerry, and it was at Deus Ex Machina. I did right? not go. That was number one. No, I, I know. To, I'm saying yeah. we did not go. We did not we go. We all made this group decision that it was going to be like that. Is go, uh, too small, and there are going to be a million people there. This and thing we is won't so be big. Able to park. And we're not gonna, let's go to snaps. Bill's and have coffee. But the whole coffee, we were like, "What's going on at Luftigo? I wonder and, what, the, and what those guys what, are up to." That's what I really compliment them on. I've never liked the car show scene because of the nerdiness. You know, guys in cargo pants with their little box right. of bolts. That's still that happening. Gonna, it's it is, and that's yes. and that's kind of like the lit show in a mm -hmm. way. And I was surprised when we went to number two, the Bandito Brothers. I yes. was just so surprised at the mix of. People. It was great. It was fantastic. And there's uh, and the Bandito Brothers. You know, another moment where I, I remember because I had Eight Ball down there, and you said, you know, bring them whenever, show up whenever, leave whenever. 
Just there was no pressure to stay. That's why I don't show cars. I, I don't want to get there at 6 in the morning and then have to stand around till 2.30 in the afternoon or 3, having lots of tiny conversations with, you know, with people and just really just you know, commiserating waiting for a car to leave. Your thing is kind of like you can show up and you can leave when you want. Yeah, um, it's obviously <clears throat> evolved a little bit. Uh, the first show that you guys talk about was uh, 40 cars and two, 300 people. Uh, mm -hmm. We didn't promote it. We sort of just threw it up uh, a couple days before and, and printed a T-shirt and a poster and said, <laughs> come down. And four years later, we were over 1,000 air-cooled cars this May mm -hmm. uh, at San Pedro that both of you came to. Thank you. And um, yeah, 6,000 people. And soon uh, I've felt that we've become a victim of our own success mm. because now it's permitting, it's police. It's, there is more structure, but we're still working hard to keep the structure um, relaxed and keep the enthusiasm high because we've seen it uh, with Monterey Car Week mm -hmm. just coming back. It, it gets so big that in some ways it can be diluted. I love all these events. I go to the Lit Show. I go to Car Week. I go to Amelia. And I love being a part of that sort of unique character. And for us, I guess that's the goal, to maintain our own unique nature and not get washed mm -hmm. out like everything else. What, what, what's the ultimate plan for Luftecult? Is it, you know, are you making money on this? Is it purely the passion? Is it, is it Porsche because you're a Porsche factory driver? What is driving this, Patrick Long? Uh, a friend of mine, Howie Idelson, who's a Southern California uh, creative director, his wife, Laura, had a great tagline. She looked at us across the table as we were trying to figure out what the <laughs> hell we were doing. And she said, this is a great side hustle. So, yeah, it's a passion project. Obviously, we have uh, young families, each of us, right. um, full time. I travel 200 days a year. So uh, to pull one show off right now is a lot of work. But I think it's been uh, my college education. I left school at... Uh, 16 to fly to Europe and race full time and did my studies on the road. And so I didn't get a traditional education. I didn't go to college. So if anything, this is reverse engineering things that I've learned through hanging out with successful people in the car world. And uh, that's, that's really what it is right now. It's, we're just kind of making it up as we go. Um, and, and we'll see what and evolves. seeing where it, where it ends up because yeah. it could end up being a content destination. It could end up being, you know, I don't know. All I know is like it just exponentially gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And one of two things happens in that situation. When the cars and coffee gets too big, somebody shuts it down. Somebody <laughs> shuts it down. You need, you... To, you need to sign up a, a state or a football stadium or something to put this or you can't do it anymore. Or right? you get a schism. You get a sect breaks off and says, we're going to, <laughs> we, we're going to go back to the pure Luftgeer cult. You, you know, they've lost their way. The church lost <laughs> its way and we're getting back to originalism. The purest. And, and believe me, they're, they're already out there. I know. Really? They're, of course, they're, they're trying. What, they're what trying. One the thing we one thing we have that they don't have are are guys like you who uh, are a part of the car community and and legitimate supporters. And mm -hmm. so, thank you for uh, keeping us relevant. But that's not that. It's nice of you to say, but it's really not what drives it. I mean, what I notice is there are a lot of young people there, and for the first time, women at a car show. Never right? saw that before. Food trucks and beer and and this relaxed atmosphere and all the guys that we you know know the older guys in the Porsche thing they all seem to stand around going what is this I don't mm. understand but what the, what's dawning on them is they're out this is the end of them they're being pushed to the outside of the circle and there's a new generation of Porsche people it, you know uh, we hear this all the time that uh, there's no kids involved in the hobby how are we going to get the kids involved come to Luftecult. And you're going to see that that's a ridiculous thing to even say. We, we, you know, just talking about it yesterday, kids don't drive cars. Kids aren't interested. I, I don't even understand that statement. Do you? I, I don't. I see 
in my son is 16, so I see some of his friends lagged on getting their mm-hmm. permit. I know I couldn't wait to get my permit. It had to be on day number one. I had to get the license as soon as as soon as possible. But kids, if a car is available, a kid loves a car. And <laughs> and I've got my kind of wonky theories that that 911s are relevant. Uh, because there's still 9-11s. There was mm-hmm. a 9-11 in 63. There's a 9-11 in 2017. So there's a continuum that a kid can can look at it, aspire to a 2017 9-11 and see the relationship to it, an older car. Uh, that's it. You know what, what blows me away about Lofka Cult? When I look at, at it, I just start thinking about how many hours of prep time and production time are involved in this. And I really have to think that it... If you aggregated the time, you'd be doing at least three months of work. Yeah, are you working happen. on it right now, or are you thinking about the next one? Yeah, it's been a year-round process. Obviously, there's concentrated months. Uh, it is mm-hmm. three months of full uh, labor prep. This year, we had uh, a team of five that was on it for three months. And then on the day of, our staff was probably over 30. Um, so wow. that is, um, again, a good problem to have. Um, but we try to keep it mixed uh we want to go to different venues we want to introduce the car guy to a new venue like modernica furniture Mm -hmm. mid-century modern furniture bandito brothers being uh from the creative world and a production house and uh we'll see what what comes of of the next one but yeah it's it's certainly uh, a different outcome than what i had planned do you does porsche get involved at all um they've been sort of supportive as friends and um you know we, they've they've helped with advice uh we've even leaned on porsche classic for uh, some help with staffing and things like that so um they're keeping an eye on us but they have their hands full with their own events i mean we just saw right. the, the announcement <laughs> of Rensport for uh next year 2018 up at um mazda raceway laguna seca so um you know, there's there's some collaboration there, but I think part of the spirit of Lufkakold is that it's not about selling; it's really just about celebrating. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll see if we can maintain that purity as things get more expensive as the show grows. But um, there will be an, a time when we're going to have to be a little more selective on cars and maybe a, a cap on the amount of people who come in because we don't want to go to stadiums, we don't want to go to racetracks, we don't want to go to parking lots. We really want to take you inside of the architecture of Los Angeles and the culture of Los Angeles, and so that means keeping it pretty centrally mm-hmm. located. The girls don't want to drive two hours to the middle of the desert, no. as you guys know, so we have to. We have a, a few challenges the on our hands. guys don't either. <laughs> <laughs> well, where were we in the, close to Long Beach last yeah. time? Yeah, we were already complaining about that. <clears throat> I loved Modern Ica because it really felt like a 1970s team. Mm-hmm. Set where where some seventies detective was going to shoot a guy off of one of those old tin buildings. Yeah, uh, Kerry Morse, who's an avid collector that you guys know, uh, he's he said this feels like Gamund. You know, right. he, there was old rustic <laughs> signs and lots of uh, corrugated rusted metal, and you, we didn't create any of it. Uh, Jay, the founder, he uh, basically cut some weeds and uh, said, "Good luck. I'm a car guy. I'll be here as a fan." And uh, that's the type of car guy connection that's really helped this thing evolve is that everybody has somebody in their company who loves cars and and that that's been our unfair advantage in planning now the books and the merch are they available year-round like with this book that you're you're giving us here 
You, is that is there a Luftekult site where people can go and the merch is uh, available for sale? And because I remember the first couple of times you had to buy the T-shirts early or they sold out immediately. Yeah, we right? focus on event shirts and event posters. We hand screen the posters on site for the event, and once they're sold, they're sold. Uh, the leftovers, if there are leftovers, go up on our website, which mm -hmm. is Luftekult.com. And after that, uh, it's just been uh, about little pieces of continuation of the event, but really the day of is where we focus on merch because that's not our, our full-time gig. It's just a, an additional uh, perk to uh, coming along. But uh, the book, Luftbook, uh, has its own website, and uh, you can Google that. And, uh, yeah, it's been a, another journey for me in an education with Howie in, in creating a coffee table book. I mean, you think these things go together like a, a little uh, wedding book, but, I mean, mm -hmm. that's six months of, of conference calls and reviews and creative and direction. And I drive race cars. That's all I've ever done. So I get burst into these scenes with real people who have real experience in education, and it's been great. And I try not to be that founder who has an opinion on everything and really just listen to the people that are at the table who know what they're doing. Yeah, and the day of, you're running around. I noticed, you know, we stop and say hello, and then you're like, bing! <laughs> yeah. You have to get to the next spot. What are your responsibilities on that day? What are you doing? Yeah, someone call me that like corner <laughs> coffee shop uh, mm -hmm. owner, operator, micromanager. Um, yeah. I've tried to get away from that because I've realized <laughs> that there's way too much real estate for one micromanager to hold, right. hold all the keys to well, everything. I didn't, say, I didn't say it was micromanaging. It seemed like you had a lot to do. Like there were things going wrong. You were going to handle them and we weren't going to feel the brunt of that. Well, that's the goal. Um, I think this has been sort of a compilation of relationships and mm -hmm. people that I've met along the way in the Porsche world. So in many aspects, I don't want to hand phone numbers out, so I sort of become <laughs> the scheduler, the coordinator, the right. parking guy. And mm -hmm. It's been fun to evolve and to delegate, which is something that I don't really know about because I mm -hmm. haven't run a real business. But um, it's certainly when it's that frantic and there are that many cars and that many passionate people, uh, you learn the hard way that you have to trust your team. And uh, it's been fun. Everybody who has come on officially is a Porsche guy, a classic guy. They speak the language. And uh, I think that's been the fun part is, is that it's just, again, community. I mean, we sort of run it like a, a charity event. And uh, you've seen and been involved and probably put your own charity events on. Sometimes you get uh, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company that puts more blood, sweat, and tears into his mm -hmm. own charity part. And that's what I feel like. Sometimes my team, they'll see me on the phone between race series, and they're like, are you even here this weekend? Or mm -hmm. are you just living Lufkakold? And I've had to be really careful to balance that because – competition on the racetrack is for hundreds of a second so you have to be 110 percent right. when you get in the car we're here with porsche factory driver patrick long we'll be back in a minute when you're looking to buy a car, you want to make sure that you're getting real pricing on actual inventory. Unfortunately, a lot of times this isn't the case. People configure cars online only later to find out they're not available, Zuckerman. So with TrueCar, you get real pricing on actual inventory. This is not pricing offered by TrueCar, but pricing from actual dealers. And not just any dealer, but a TrueCar certified dealer. This is carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency and offering you a competitive market price. Using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want. Next, TrueCar will show you what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. Now you know what a fair price is so you can feel confident. Don't you want to feel confident when you're buying a car? I'm sold. You're sold. Over 3 million cars have been sold to TrueCar users by TrueCar certified network dealers. There are 13,000 TrueCar certified dealers nationwide. Wow. Do you understand? Nobody wants the bad dealership experience anymore and true car is going to get you out of it you will work directly with a true car certified dealer contact 
TrueCar users are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with TrueCar certified dealers. TrueCar users save an average of over $3,000 over MSRP. What do they call the MSRP? What's the name for that sticker? Manufacturer's Suggested Retail Price. There it is. Don't take my word for it. Take Zuckerman's word. When you're ready to buy, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. I'm not going to tell you what features or what states. That's not my job. Do you want to be great at reading body language, developing persuasion and influence, as well as master rapport and social interaction? What if I told you that you would learn from top performers like NBA superstar Shaquille O'Neal, former CIA director Michael Hayden, and brilliant thinkers like Dirty Jobs Mike Rowe? Take a minute right now and subscribe to the Art of Charm podcast with me, Jordan Harbinger, and you'll hear how I pull out the secret psychology, life experience, and wisdom that can only be learned from them. You'll hear Shaq talk about how to manage your career and how to know who to trust when everyone's out to get something from you. You'll discover how to think critically from Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson and even how Tony Hawk's life as a skateboard icon will influence how you think about your career and relationships in a whole new way. This show is for you if you want to outcompete, outperform, and outthink everyone around you. And it's the only place you'll get practical, applicable strategies from every single episode. Since you're all about learning from the absolute best, download and subscribe for free right now and upgrade your brain four times a week at podcastone.com or in the Podcast One app. You're listening to Spike's Car Radio. All right, we're back with Patrick Long and the real Zuckerman. You know Patrick Long, one of ten Porsche factory drivers and the only American. Is that true? Is that, yeah. is that a fake fact that uh, I read? The team's evolved a little bit because of LMP1, and we have some junior team members. Right. We have some senior team well, let's members. Well, let's just back up. What is a Porsche factory driver? Well, during the week, we drive forklifts. We offload <laughs> all of our spare parts, and then on the weekend, we get to test drive cars <laughs> okay. if, if there we're you lucky. Go. And, uh, yeah, That's no, a it's very rare race car driver joke, Zuckerman. Fact, Did no, you hear it? I'm very dry. You know, um, <laughs> factory, factory couldn't be – you know, if you think about factory. Yeah, but just, just for people who don't know, because a lot of people aren't you know, car people listening, what does a factory driver do? What, what job is that? Because I'm not even sure that I, that I understand it. And I, and I made that dumb sarcasm because it's a tough name, actually. <laughs> right. They call it Werksdriver in German. You're basically uh, an extended arm of the factory in Vysok where all of R&D for streetcars and mm-hmm. all of motorsport are developed inside of these sort of Area 51 gates about 30 minutes for, from where production is at Sufenhausen. So, um, yeah, they have their in-house drivers. That started with, I believe, Herbert Lenga way back in the day who was a Vysok resident and was like a guy who could drive, could come up the hill shake down a 718 and then go back to working wherever he was working and it's evolved into being an ambassador and a full-time um, member of Porsche's racing so team. So wait, so let's back up to this part. So you're a guy, they say we've got the new GT3 ready and they they've got 10 of you out there. Can you guys come in, take it around the track and tell us what you think? Are you giving them feedback about it? Are you just the guy who takes it up to speed so they can get feedback themselves? You know, is that what it is? Yeah. Well, there's a there's a team on GT cars for street car. You know, the GT3, GT2 RS, etc. Right. They have a development team of drivers. They are, de- are you on that team? No, because we are flying around the world racing, but we do get to sample in. If we're in Vysok and we run into that team, they'll throw the keys to a development car that's still in camo. Have you driven the GT2 RS? Uh, I have not. You I just yet. came out of the new GT3, mm. but I have not been given and? the keys. And? 
So. Pleasantly surprised. Uh, <laughs> really? Well, did you drive the PDK or the manual? Surprised and pleasantly surprised. So my biggest surprise was the manual transmission. When I got into the Gen 1 991 GT3, first time we went to PDK, I was kind of like the rest of the fans of a GT3, rolling my eyes, like it'll never be the same, etc. Mm-hmm. You guys have talked about this. When I took it up the snake, I was convinced this was the best street car I'd ever driven, and that's not Porsche Spiel. So wow. when I jumped into the manual... So wait, you had the new GT3 out here? Yeah, the first gen the GT3. First gen, right. Then I jumped into Gen 2, which is what we've just launched uh, up at Monterey Car Week. We had a press event, and we were running them at Thunder Hill on last Tuesday. And so now I sort of am a convert. I drive a PDK, uh, a GTS daily. Um, Me and, too. And I feel almost guilty in saying that, but it's so good. And it's I can so still good. experience right. a manual driving style, but I can drink coffee and sit in yeah. Beverly Hills traffic. No, I know. So. So, so have you driven the manual transmission second generation GT3? And? And damn good because are you going to be okay though you're exactly who i want to talk to right now you're enjoying your pdk yes for for these reasons that i've stated many times you can use this car during the week right it's just so nice to have something like that that does everything right do i really want to go back and start shifting gears in this new car i'm still on the fence what i would say is what are you going to be doing with your gt3 if you're going to the track and you're putting a sticker on the side of the door and you're competing for lap times you stay with the PDK okay? because you're going right. to daily drive it there. You're going to be happy. You're going to be quicker on the track because you're probably not uh, at, at the level where you can better the computers these mm-hmm. days. But if you're a canyon chaser guy, you drive your GT3 on the weekend. You don't care about lap times. You don't daily drive it. Manual, no question. Really? Wow, there you go. So, the, so that's so the, the 911R theory, Zuckerman. So, so the solution is you keep your 991.1 PDK, and then you get the second-generation stick, and you have one of each. Maybe get just every version of the GT3 and well, have I, 10 GT3s. I agree. <laughs> I like to corner. I want to corner the market. I was in Zuckerman's hangar the other day, and there are these little post-it notes on the windshield. Uh, registration expired. Mm. Needs gas. Needs two. Up every it's, it was uh, too many car problems. We talked about this. I, I, I don't want to have that. I don't like that. I like it. <laughs> I, I like it. I that like. Doesn't it. make you anxious? Yeah, it like made walk. me. When I looked at, it, I went, "Oh, I got to get out of here." You know what it's There's like. So much work. You to know, do here. you know, I laugh. It's, it's like when the fire alarms all go blinky at one time. Yes. The the, the light bulbs all go out at once, mm-hmm. and the cars are the same way. They all take a crap at the same time. <laughs> right. They do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then yeah, you're trying to hack through them with your. I have machete. two analogies. One is the crazy cat lady, and she justifies having twelve <laughs> cats in her eight hundred square foot house. That's what I feel like when I tell people why I need a 66912 yes. and a 1991 C2. Yes. But the other one is there are people who walk onto an airplane with just an iPhone. They don't have mm-hmm. hand luggage. They don't, mm-hmm. have a, they don't have a backpack. They don't have anything. And then there's me. I walk onto the plane with a like mountain climbing backpack with 20 magazines in it because I'm so scared I might be bored one day that I have right. to have many projects. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I never open up any of those. Do you have a big car collection? Not a big car collection. It's it's modest in size and modest in value, but uh, I like to sort of play and have diversity. And what, what kind of cars I'm, do you have? What do you like? I'm 
pretty much Porsche 911. I have uh, so you have a 912. A couple a 66... family heirlooms that are not Porsche. Oh yeah, what are those? Uh, 1930 Model A Roadster, original oh, wow. steel body, sort of rat rod without the rust. Mm-hmm. Uh, a 60 T Bird, which was my grandfather's nice. uh, big boat. So like Gra- was Grandpa the car guy in the family? Is that where this all started? He was. Uh, he was a son of a barber who cut hair until he was 93 in downtown LA, and a uh, very frugal father. And my grandpa went the opposite direction. He was all about sex, drugs, rock and roll, and <laughs> Hot rod cars. So he owned a gas station uh, in in Burbank, Glendale, in the heyday of fifties and sixties hot rodding and circle track racing was where my family went as fans. They went mm-hmm. to the original Ascot to Gilmore uh, to where that the heyday of open wheel dirt racing was, and then of course uh, Porsches. I mean, my family were pickup pickup people and Detroit Iron people. So Porsches was new just through opportunity for me in racing. And when did you know you were going to race? Well, at six years old, it's all I cared about. I wasn't really into friends. <laughs> I wasn't good at grade. Stick, sticking How do you? What do you mean you only cared about racing in first grade? Uh, well, that's all I wanted to do was watch <laughs> racing on TV. I had a $75 go-kart that my uncle had found at a garage sale, and I would go into the garage and, and just start it up and run it on the stand until my dad came home. I was probably high on carbon monoxide because the door was closed. But, uh, yeah, great, great health health choices at six wow. years old by yourself with a go-kart in the garage. So, And you just wanted to get on the track. That's all. What were you? What kind of racing were you watching on TV? Everything, anything that ESPN Speed World had mm-hmm. on. I mean, swamp buggies to Group C, uh, heyday, you know, IMSA GT racing. And, and your dad's a surfer at this point, a professional surfer. No, he's a he's a hippie surfer. So he's a carpenter, <laughs> uh, building staircases in in suburbia Los Angeles and mm-hmm. surfing uh, after and before work and at, on the weekends and just trying to get me and my brother to go to the beach. But my little brother became a skateboard fiend and I spanky. became a go karter. That's spanky. Uh, that's yeah. spanky. So there's a little bit of that. Do you, from have, my dad. Do you have a cool name, nickname like Spanky? No, I have a lot of like red hair related uh, <laughs> names. Uh, maybe some with my, my first name being Pat and my last name being Long. So lately they call me Plongy because uh, so I don't where know, the Australians, you know? I, you know, I want to get back to the Porsche uh, driving, but you're a six year old. <laughs> In first grade, obsessed with racing, where does it go? It, it, you know, usually when you hear the story of someone climbing the ladder of being a professional driver, they have some. They have the rich dad that's going to go. I'm going to get you all the stuff, and you're going to do the programs, and I'm going to pay for everything. It doesn't sound like you were in that situation, right? I was not, um, <clears throat> and it was one of those things where my dad was a good guy, and and he sort of was a. a a blue collar kind of roll your sleeves up and he would go around and ask for advice from the, right. the bigger teams and they would throw us a go-kart they would throw us their old tires so he started in kart racing karting yeah karting. karting from eight you had to be eight to mm-hmm. race then and uh just evolved up through local regional state and then international karting and that was sort of the way to get a scholarship my first scholarship came from elf fuel company from france i moved over to europe racing uh, single seater small mm-hmm. formula cars how and old the rest. were you when I moved first to Italy, I was 16, wow. racing go-karts, and then to France when I was 17. I lived at Le Mans inside of the gates of the actual 24-hour racetrack. We practiced and studied uh, in a college, uh, racing college, where we went to school during the week and raced on the weekends. Wow, so that's really cool. That now, so were, you, cool. were you winning a lot as a kid? Not always. <clears throat> it was there flowed. no baseball or any? I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? Just none of it. I tried just, it. I, I sucked at it, and I just wanted to be in my <laughs> go-kart. What did you think you were, what, baseball? Um, I played baseball, soccer, uh, hockey, um, and and enjoyed them. But Mm -hmm. in the end, what it actually came down to was when I was about 13 or 14, I had to miss so many games to be at the racetrack that it it was a decision I had to make. So you get on the track and you're you're eight or nine years old in a go-kart. 
are you just killing it? Are you just, do you feel at home in that moment? You go, and are you winning races? Are you the kid in the town? Yeah, are you a natural? I think so. At that age, at eight, I was winning by my third race and and in crappy equipment. But then... With no no training, nobody... No, pretty much just... just feel um i was smooth but i wasn't aggressive i was good in qualifying but in the battles i was a little bit timid so what about did 13, you ever get hurt um i mean did, run into run over you know wheel marks <laughs> on your neck I, mean, but. I have a nine and seven year old and they still cry you know they get yeah. hit in the head with oh, a football yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you come you could get a go-kart in the back of the head you're you're crying on the ride home you don't probably concuss but back then and, no and mom is is, yeah. is dad telling mom what's going on is no, she at the track no, no like, don't yeah, tell your fine, mom you know? don't tell your mom that wheel marks nothing yeah yeah so the wheel mark on there was no face. internet there was no twitter they didn't know what was going on wow that's really exciting that yeah. is really cool so where is the story big moment where you become a professional racer like how did you get discovered it's one of those things like trying to be discovered in Hollywood um, racing. There's so many kids out there that are trying to tell you they're the best and they're winning races. But in the end, it's an expensive sport. Uh, at about 20, I had been in Europe for a few years, sort of sleeping on couches, begging for rides. I had some good opportunities, some good results, but some rough years as well. Uh, 2002, I was teammates with Lewis Hamilton and Manor Racing in England in uh, Formula Renault. Won some races, but finished sixth or so in the championship and really wasn't making the headlines. He was. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was out of luck. I was out of time. So I was kind of looking at moving home and getting a real job working for my family mm-hmm. uh, wood shop. And Red Bull called up and said, we're going to do a Formula One driver search for an American. Uh, we have the U.S. Grand Prix. We have no American driver. N- you know, corporate America is not stepping up. So an Austrian energy drink company is going to step up. They're going to search high and low. They, they employed Danny Sullivan to be sort of their mentor, godfather. And he went out and plucked people from short tracks and dirt racing, go-karts, everything. And, uh, of course, I was sort of one of the favorites as a single-seater already being in Europe because that's where they were going to test us. And that's what they were looking for was a European-bred uh, American. And uh, I flunked. I uh, went in <laughs> overconfident. I made it from 16 to 6. And then they took four of the six, and I wasn't on that short list. So wow. I went oh, to uh, Monaco that night and got really drunk and thought <laughs> that was the last time I drove a car. And the next morning, Porsche called and said, we saw something the Austrians didn't. We were there undercover. They allowed us to be there. Come to Vysok, test one of our GT cars, and let's see what happens. Wow. The inflection point we talk about. Yeah, the, the lucky, inflection the point. turning point. We, L- we, luck, opportunity. It's not art theory, up. but it's the, 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 the head of Harvard Business School talks <laughs> about how failure doesn't have to be failure. It can be an inflection point. There can be, it's a moment for you to succeed if you're looking at it differently. This one is, a, is, is happening not by his choice, though, Suckerman. This one just ricochets off and Porsche saves the day, yeah. but an inflection point nonetheless. Nonetheless, nonetheless. What being, an amazing story, huh? Yeah, because it could have been, been sanding. All right, well, been... now that you've been to the factory, let's, uh, what do you know? <laughs> oh. So we heard, we were in Monterey a, week, a few weeks back, and there was uh, a meeting with the 918 guys, the VIP program, of which... By the way, I'm not a, a member of the VIP. You're not a VIP, Zuckerman, are you? Jerry's fault. Right, yeah, he is. He didn't go to the meeting, but they, they talk about all the new stuff that's coming out, right? Going and then they make, them signed, uh, they make them sign little agreements that they and can't talk that about they it. they promptly 
breach. And yes. I won't say who. But they <laughs> well, good. So you guys know more than me, and then I don't have to be in, getting in trouble. Do right. they, as a Porsche factory driver, do they fill you in on the new stuff coming down the pipe, or are you just you know waiting like everyone else? Partly. I mean, there is a whole separate team of drivers, engineers mm-hmm. that do cross over in some ways. I mean, Dr. Valasar, who's the head of motorsport, is also the head of GT cars. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get little hints, but I mean, it's it's best to be on a need to know basis and right. not have to keep secrets. But we do see a lot of things when we go for meetings, when we go for checks, when we go to shake down a race car, we see a lot of cars inside the gate that are camoed up. So you can yeah, put two yeah. and two together and right. kind of understand that that's definitely not a boxster, even though from the outside with some of the camo, they actually put pieces on the car. It's not just putting a camo livery wrap on it, but there are, are pieces of bodywork that confuse you. They cover the lights with different shapes. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's fun to see that, that sort of candy land being produced. Um, and uh, I remember seeing the GT2 RS for the first time, and the exhaust was what stuck out to me being really? sort of integrated into the bumper. And when I talked to one of the de- designers, he said, we're really having a hard time making this exhaust go away. It's too big. It's too bold. It's it's not in the right place. And I was like, man, that's the best thing about that car. <laughs> you know, it looks like a yeah. Shore boat. Make it big and make it noisy. I like when I go to these little press events and there's, you know, Andreas Pruninger is there and Hurley Haywood. And we all know there's going to be a 911R, but they can't talk about mm-hmm. it. And you ask them questions about it. And sometimes and I, I they're frustrated. I, they, well, uh, yeah, well, I would say, look, Let's just say there's going to be a 911R. But if there were, hypothetically, how much weight would uh, be out of this car next to, what, a standard GT3? And Pruninger's like, well, how much, uh, how much weight do you want to take out of the car? And, <laughs> you know, of course, Jerry and Paul and I have all talked about it, that we thought if, if, if 400 pounds were taken out of a GT3, <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting to us. And I said, well, you know, 400 pounds. And put his drink down. I go, 400 pounds? You know what I tell people like you, Spike? I go, why don't you lose 100 pounds instead of me? He goes, you're a thin guy, but I tell the most Americans, these fat Americans, you lose 100 pounds. Stop asking me to lose 100 pounds. Yeah, but he was joking. He was joking, but it, he was also just a little angry that he hadn't hit that mark because the 911 hours how much lighter? Do you, do you even know? It, well, I 200 think, kilograms lighter? No, it's not even that much. Right? It's not a lot. I don't. It's not 100. It's 50 pounds or something. Yeah, it's yeah. not a lot. You know, but it, we were talking. We also talked about well, what else could you pull out of it? You, you pull the air conditioning out. That infuriated him. Right. That is, you go. You take out the air conditioning. You take out the radio. And he goes. Let me tell you something. I just drove. <laughs> He's already been asked all of these questions. By the way, I felt like a Star Wars nerd in that moment. Do you know what I mean? Bothering J.J. Right. Abrams with dumb questions about <laughs> about the snow leopards or something. And I felt like that 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 the quintessential comic book nerd in and, that and moment. That, and, I, and that runs up against very German dry culture. Too, right. When you're right. excited and asking, and that's I always wonder how do you do you how do you fit in in that. Can you speak German? Yeah, I speak enough to get by. But, I mean, look, you, Andreas, for instance, that guy speaks better English than I yeah, do. Yeah, he does. I mean, it's insane. And, and the ambassadors and the, the role developers, that's kind of par for the course. But um, the culture is different, especially when you go to a small village in uh, Weissach. Or- well, Are you treated as one of the guys at this point? 
Yes and no. I think racing drivers have uh, a mixed review from internal uh, team members. Uh, obviously, we carry the, the, the cake across the line, but there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. So I think if you understand the cars, if you're a fan of the, the, the history, uh, we talk a lot about vintage cars and uh, the new products. So, yeah, I think um, with Andreas and the GT team, it's, it's pretty close to the motorsport side. He actually uses us for feedback, which we've never had in previous generations, where uh, he'll throw us a development car. I went out in the Gen 2 GT2, uh, GT3, and Vysok and ran a, a loop that he does on public roads and gave him feedback on compliance and high frequency bumps and things like that. So we speak the same nerdy engineering language and, mm -hmm. and he sometimes wants a fresh view uh, from a racing driver who's not a guy who's been in the car every single week as they've developed the car because sometimes they don't get that just black and white feedback. He was. Uh, he he went back to. He goes. I just had two nine elevens. One with the radio and the air conditioning deleted. So you save all this weight, <laughs> and we're on the highway next to each other. I have everything: the radio and the air conditioning, and we're even up to a hundred and twenty miles an hour. And then my car starts to pull away a little bit. But it was raining, Spike, and the guy could not see because he had no air conditioning. <laughs> and he starts screaming at me. That's what happens when you take air conditioning out. You can't use this car in the rain. He stormed off, tipped the table over. Hurley Haywood was apologizing. Yeah, By the way, he... that day, that was in road. Uh, they took me out to Road Atlanta to drive the GT4 and the GT3 RS. And Hurley Haywood, it was the first sunny day after four rainy days. And Hurley's like, you ready to go out? Seven, it's 7.30 in the morning. I'm, I'm drinking. I've had 10 coffees. That's it. And, and flew the night before. And I said, Hurley, I, I've never been on this track before. And I don't pretend to be a race car driver. And you've got me now the first lead car behind you and two other uh, journalists who I think are really cool. So <laughs> I don't want to embarrass myself. But can we just do a couple of laps so I can see when I come up over a hill if I'm going left or right? <clears throat> Hurley goes, yeah, no problem. And then he proceeds to just light the track on fire on the first lap. I, I'm flying around in the GT4 and seeing what that car can do, driving beyond my abilities, you know, sliding into turns, but loving it, very controllable. But it's the only time I've ever made myself sick to my stomach in a race car driving. It happens when I do a ride-along, and definitely if I get in the backseat, but we were going so bloody fast. And there's a walkie-talkie next to me, and he's, Hurley's got one in his car, and he's just screaming at me, Stay yeah. in my bumper! You're too slow! <laughs> you know, he's got a German accent. <laughs> Fat American! You're too slow! You, you lose 100 pounds so you can catch me! The whole thing was demoralized. He's like, what, 80 years old? <laughs> well, he's getting up there, but he's he still goes fast. He's an incredible driver. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I don't know. You don't strike me as one of these guys. Like, you know, like Brian Vickers. I don't know if you know who he is. Yeah. You get Dempsey. You get these guys on a track, and they're monsters. Like, their eyes suddenly light up, and then they can't drive slowly. They attack. Is that what you're like when you get out there? Pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah, especially a place like Road Atlanta. As I was thinking about that layout. Um, yeah. And, and you rolling up off of a red eye with 10 coffees coming through your nose. That's <laughs> a little bit like following a, a pro skier off piece through the trees and, and rocks, and you're just doing what he does, but you have no idea. Oh, I was caught. You know, like, imagine I'm right behind him, but I've got two other guys. I can't remember who it was, but two, a uh, guy from Drive, not Harris, Mike Spinelli. Right. It was Mike Spinelli and somebody else, but guys I watch on the internet, right? And I'm an automotive enthusiast. I am not an automotive journalist. You know, I'm not a guy who does this all the time. But I was feeling the heat. And you're coming down that, I don't know, there's, there's one turn where you're 
doing about in the GT3 RS 140 to 160, and then it's pretty much a dead stop and left turn, and then you come around to the front. And as you come around there, that's where you're coming up a hill, and it, and it bears right. But I've never I, – I don't even think I've been to Atlanta. So yeah, it basically I'm is like a cliff. Yeah. I'm going up going, all right, let's hope that car went right with early Haywood in it. What was incredible about the experience, and it was, uh, I think, a little bit of what you get at the Porsche driving experience, um, but more, was seeing what these cars were designed to do. That's what I told uh, this guy and Seinfeld. I was like, you don't even know what a GT3 RS can do driving this thing on the street. This thing is uh, an aerodynamic machine that you can that only sort of reveals itself over 150 miles an hour, right? Yeah. it's um, the, the racing side of it has always been Porsche's um, development mm-hmm. back. Backyard. I think one thing that I kind of pro Porsche on is that if you take a GT3 to the track, you can beat it up all day long. You don't need to cool it off. You don't need to come in and let the brakes cool down. I see so many kids who talk about, wow, this car does zero to 60 and this car does this, you know, 100 to zero in stopping. And mm-hmm. I said, but can you take it to the track and hammer it all day long? And even if you're not a track guy, at least knowing that that car is going to be reliable as much as you want to hammer it, wherever you want to hammer it, that's probably one of the proudest moments of, of being a part of the Porsche family. So as a, <clears throat> this is a different question. Professional racer. You know, uh, can you make a living doing that? I know you're a Porsche guy, but let's say you're not. You're living in Southern California. Is it the type of thing where you get a a call and they go, hey, let's race NASCAR this weekend or let's do uh, sprint cars or uh, how does it work? Certainly, um, it's tough. You have to hustle. Do you have an agent? Yeah, a lot of guys have agents, managers. um, They're part of teams. But I think in all of it, whatever it is, you've got to go out and attack it yourself. You have to – differentiate yourself and convince these private team owners or these manufacturers that not only do you have the goods, but you have the love and the work ethic. And it's the same in anything. And, you and have to push yourself to the top. And what is the age? Like, is there an age like football where you're considered too old to race? I'd say there's guys that make it into their fifties, but they are really physically fit. I mean, if you mm-hmm. look at a guy like Scott Pruitt, who's mid fifties, late fifties, mm-hmm. I mean, that guy doesn't have an ounce of body fat. He works out every single day and Beyond that, they have to have this love. I mean, Hurley Haywood still goes out and loves to pound yeah, laps he's all amazing. day long. So you have to be obsessed to be an expert, <laughs> whatever that saying is. So there's a little bit of all that. But I would say there's probably 30, 50 guys in the country who make a six-figure salary weekend to weekend, just hustling for five, ten grand a race here and there. Wow. And then there's maybe 10 Americans who have a factory gig with one of the big OE manufacturers, whether that's a combination of coaching and testing cars in the week and then racing on the weekends or some of the few who are lucky to race the big ones, Le Mans, Daytona, etc. And uh, it's not a bad gig. It's a short window. So you mm-hmm. sort of have to not go out and blow it on uh, big cars and uh, right, big boats right. and kind of you know invest for the future. But it's, it's a great journey. You travel the world and you learn a lot about cars, but sometimes you have to kind of step outside the the, the car dork side of things and learn uh, learn about the rest of the world because we race on the weekends. We're never we're never home when our friends are off work and then right, we're home right, during the right. week. So it gets a little bit different. What happens when you're sick? Like Saturday, you're sick. You feel the flu coming on. What happens? You drive. You just drive. You drive hard and you drive for three four hour stints. You have a couple hours off and you get back in the car. If you get to a point where you're dehydrated enough, then your other two driving teammates have to pick up the slack and uh, you're not their favorite guy. So you better be green in the face <laughs> and sitting there in a wheelchair. Have, or you, you're ever, driving. have you ever puked in a car? Oh yeah, that's <laughs> no, just that. I mean, what it do comes you mean? out of all ends of you, but uh, it's <clears throat> it's what you have to do. Endurance racing. So this is like being an fun. astronaut in the '60s, like the 
you, Paulo. So anything that happens to you, you got to go to the bathroom, you got to puke, it just goes right into the suit. Yeah, I mean, that's extreme because <laughs> you don't do 24-hour races every weekend. But when you're at Le Mans yeah. and nature calls, you're there to win. And the, this day and age, we run 110% the whole race. We so, can push these cars so hard, the driver can't be the weak link or you'll be looking for a different and type how of And how long is your little run? Do you do an hour? Do you do two hours in the car? Are we talking about the stint? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we can go up to three hours. Uh, any four-hour time period in a six-hour is a maximum a driver can do. So that could be two two-hour stints. Or we run at Le Mans three-hour stints, so three tanks of fuel, and uh, that's about all you really want in a car. So you so you go to the bathroom in your pants. At do you speed. do you at wear a diaper at two hundred miles an hour? What do you? Then, is it I'm, hard to pee at speed? It I'm, is. Adrenaline <laughs> actually. Adrenaline is. Let's is get a, into this. Is, that's a great painkiller. So you really don't feel the, right, the right. urge to go until you get out of the car unless right, you're sick. So right, that's a right. good part. Uh, I did the Baja 1000 in 2013, oh, and that's I was subjected to what the off-road guys do because sometimes they do a six or an eight-hour stint, which we're not allowed to do for safety reasons, and they have uh, a, a relief system. And what does that mean? It's a uh, a, a very uh, large capacity condom that you just uh, no put shit. glue yeah. on, and it comes that. out your race suit and uh, and where does sits it go? Below your seat. Oh, Zuckerman, we could get this for need, our cars out here I for this traffic. For work, yeah, so I can be more productive. <laughs> I want it for right now. I just want it right now for work. I want to look you in the eyes and go, "I'm going to the bathroom right now." And then I say, "Me too." <laughs> we stare at each other. <laughs> what about number two? What do they do? <laughs> I hope no one's listening to this. What kind of a condom? <laughs> what kind of a condom works for that? <laughs> <laughs> that's Nomex. That's all you got. Nomex. So you just go right in your pants. You definitely <laughs> won't do that because then you'll be driving the rest of the race yourself. <laughs> Well, Patrick, this has been a lot of fun. This, Thank you so much for coming in. I enjoyed uh, hearing about professional racing. And once again, realizing I don't think I'm ever going to be able to do this. I don't have the talent for it, nor do I want to wear – well, I do want to wear a giant condom that I can pee in. You know, there, did you ever hear this, Zuckerman? Did you ever hear about Matthew McConaughey supposedly had built a van uh, that he drove around L.A. in back in the day? And he had that condom system, and the tube went to a hole in the floor of his van, and he really? would just drive around peeing? What do you think? That could be uh, patented. It could be called Spike's Manipulator. It could just. It... I've been looking for a product to front, and this this Your might face be... on that product would be would be perfect. So I have my face on the condom itself yes. as it slips over, smiling and laughing. <laughs> and you can do the number two, <laughs> and it'll be a package with that, and then Zuckerman's number two system. And I say your number two is my number one. Yes. Right. Patrick, thank you so much for coming in, man. It was a Thanks. real pleasure. It's been fun to talk about bowel movements. All right. Well, uh, we'll see you next loop to come. Thanks for listening to Spike's Car Radio. Download new episodes every Wednesday on the Podcast One app or subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com.